0: The following podcast contains bad language. Not bad at language, like Trump's lawyers. Bad language, like naughty words. Cover your ears, I guess.
1: Welcome to episode 337 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. This one's going to air on Monday, February 14th. Uh, Nothing really happening anytime soon. You might be taking the February LSAT right now. If so, good luck. Uh, We've got Wednesday, March 16th as a deadline for the April LSAT. That's really the next thing that you need to worry about. Uh, Come to my March 2022 LSAT study group. It's happening now every other Thursday. 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Come ask me any question you want and uh, get some free LSAT help. All you need is a Demon-free subscription, lsatdemon.com. Sign up for a free account. Today on the show, boy, we had rapid fire shit tons of emails. Do you remember Uh, any topics that stood out?
0: I would say the main takeaway, if we haven't made this clear yet, is that the number one thing you need to work on to get into law school is your GPA, get your GPA up. Then once that's done, get your LSAT score, the highest LSAT score you can get. And then at that point, I don't actually care.
1: Yeah, it's an order It's an order of operations. And now for many of you, you've already graduated from undergrad. There's nothing yep. you could do. And so the thing you need to think about is the LSAT. Yep. But yeah, if you're an undergrad listening to this, you need to be getting straight A's right now or else you can just hang up. You don't need to listen to the rest of the show. If you're not getting straight A's right now, that's all you need to be thinking about. And we can't help you really get, well, I can help you get straight A's. Go kiss ass. Go talk to your professors or take easier classes. Yep. <laughs> like put A's on your record from now on, all you are getting is an A in any class. Yep. Uh, if you want to follow our advice, uh, then, then move on to the other stuff. Yep. Yeah. We talked about that a lot. We had a series of emails that prompted discussions along those lines. We're going to wrap up the show with an interview with uh, professor Lawrence J. Kotlikoff. He is a professor of economics at Boston university. We previously mentioned a, an article on CNBC where he was giving money rules. I have a copy of his book, money magic in my hand. It's fascinating. He has a whole chapter here about how you shouldn't money, uh, shouldn't borrow money to go to law school. And, um, I think that you guys will enjoy that interview with professor Kotlikoff and that'll be the last thing on the show today. Anything else ready to dive in? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. You want to run through a few of these emails? We've got a whole big list of emails, so maybe we could, uh, kind of rapid fire mailbag. Yeah, let's do it. All right.
0: I can do this first one. Good. This is from Eve. Hey, Ben and Nathan. I emailed you guys a while back in late September uh, of 2021 asking you if you thought I should sign up for the November LSAT with my diagnostic score of 162. You encouraged me to go for it, and I did. I used just the free services available at LSAT Demon and ended up scoring a 168. <laughs> okay, six points with uh, free services. That's uh, LSAT Demon free, huh? <laughs>
1: and on the assumption that one LSAT point is worth $10,000, Yep. which I think is a fairly conservative estimate, if you go to lsatdemon.com scholarships and play around with our scholarship estimator, I think you will find that there are schools where, for you one point results in $10,000 worth of tuition, um, that, you know, or, or 10 points results in the difference between zero and a full ride. And so, yeah, I think that you've got $60,000 of value for free
0: from demon free. Okay, good. So maybe we should charge her half of that, right? Just at least
1: 10%. (laughs) That's all we ask.
0: I was super happy, but of course, always striving for more. So I signed up for the March LSAT and I've been paying for the basic demon package. Oh, okay. I finally broke 170 in a practice test this past weekend, and I'm feeling really excited for March. Okay. You got a month. Thank you so much for your help. Kind regards, Eve.
1: Yeah, Demon Basic costs ninety-five dollars a month. Eve was able to get two more points already, um, you know, with sounds like a month or something like that of Demon Basic. And uh no, I mean she has I think very legitimately changed her life, certainly her financial life. Yeah. Uh by improving her LSAT from 162 to 170. And I there's no reason why she can't get 175 or higher. I mean, she could end up going for free to some of the best law schools in the country. So, uh, thanks Eve. Get greedy. That's excellent.
0: I would encourage, uh, Eve to consider getting premium or live. I mean, she has a month left. Um, I know it's obviously self-serving to say that, but I'm saying it because you're going to get access to more tests. Um, classes what us if, directly a few through classes the live classes yeah could I help mean, you get two more points like right. you can't it's just we're talking $200 for a month
1: yeah if I, it has a if it has a 5% chance of giving her two more points it's well worth it yeah and and i think it has more like a 50% chance of giving her five more points so it's like yeah thank it, you VR for bias. doing basic i'm
0: <laughs> very grateful for that but yeah
1: We are biased and we are also, I think, right. Um, Anyway. All right. Ready for this next one? Yep. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I was stumped on a reading comprehension question that said something along the lines of what word can be substituted for this word that would give the same meaning? I narrowed it down to two options and I did not know the definition of both options. So I had to guess and I got it wrong. Do you have any advice on what to do in this situation? Of course, I looked up the definitions afterward, but what do I do during the real test if I do not know the definition of the answer choices? You say the text gives you everything you need to answer the question, but this does not seem to apply here. Thank you, Valeria. First advice, take more tests. Um, if,
0: If there are words that they are testing you the definition on, I mean, not directly, but they are assuming that you know the definition of uh these words to answer these questions, then there are definitions you should know and you need to get more exposure to more tests. Um there are some words that you don't need to know the definition for, and they realize that and they will give you the definition one way or another. Um but when they don't, then that's a word you need to know.
1: Yes. And they really aren't testing you on the definitions of words uh, almost ever on the LSAT. It, it is important to have a good vocabulary. It is important to be a good reader and writer. That's what, else, that's what lawyers are. Um, and so you need to read books. You need to develop a strong command of the English language. You're going to be a gladiator of the English language if you're going to be a successful lawyer. And you need to work on that every day for the rest of your life. Uh, the best way to do that is just to develop a habit of reading and just read books. Cause you'd be doing it automatically. Like for pleasure, you're going to be working on this very critical skill. Uh, but when they ask you on the, on the LSAT on reading comp, I mean, I think the question that Valeria is specifically referring to is, uh, you know, a question that, that, that asks, um, in this context, when the, when they said this word, what other word here would have the same effect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that you, you actually can't answer that based on definitions.
0: You can't, it's not sufficient, but it is necessary. If she didn't know what those words meant, that's a problem, right? So, well, and they're assuming, I you guess know.
1: they but they're testing, they are testing usage, not like definitions, right? Because the truth is, every choice on that list could have definitions in common with the word that we're looking to replace, mm-hmm. right? They're not asking you, do you know a definition of this word? What they're asking you is in the context in which that word was used, which what one was of the these definition? words mm-hmm. in that same context would have the same effect, have the same meaning. Yep. And, and you wouldn't be able to replace that word with with the all four of the wrong answer choices. There's only one word, which has a usage, which is similar to that. And so it's just, this isn't like readers digest, um, you know, vocabulary test. This is more, (laughs) do you read a lot? And are you going to be able to, you know, they're testing like facility broadly with language, not like specific knowledge of words. Sure. I I mean, (laughs) I don't think we have an answer of what to do in this particular situation other than think about the broad, big picture of the passage. Like, why does this passage exist? What were they selling? What were they selling in this part of the passage? Why was this sentence in the passage? And then you've got to be able to find a word that's going to have the, that's not going to change the meaning. But it's not really about like memorizing definitions or anything like that. It's more like, did you get the big picture and can you see how this other mean this other word would have a meaning that that doesn't change the big picture there?
0: Yeah, I can't quite tell if we're saying the same thing or not. I mean, I agree with all of that. I guess I just still think that. If this word or these words are showing up in the answer choices, they're not one of those words that are random and a word that the test doesn't expect you to know. It sounds like she didn't even know them. And it's like, okay, you got to know those words. So I want her to just, just get exposed to more tests and look up these words that she doesn't know.
1: Yep. Keep doing what you're doing, Valeria. Do a lot of LSAT and you will get better at the LSAT. Also, at the same time, you need to develop a lifelong habit of reading books in English and um, get yourself a library card and start checking out books that that will keep you reading. And, uh, you know, it's not that's not going to be an instant fix, but it, it will help you in you know, your LSAT six months from now or a year from now, and it will help you with your law school exams. It will help you with the bar exam. It will help you with your entire legal career. This is just the very beginning. I mean, we're, this is the tip of the iceberg. You need these words for, for not just for this one LSAT question. Yeah. All right. Next one.
0: Yep. All right. So this came to me from, uh, Everado. He says, hey, Ben, I, you referenced Nudge the other day in the podcast, and I, I don't remember if I said that or you did, but anyways, he says, I already had been curious about it, but that solidified me going to buy it. In the first chapter, the authors discuss automatic systems and reflective systems. Here's the relevant quote. The automatic system starts out with no idea how to play golf or tennis Note, however, that countless hours of practice enable an accomplished golfer to avoid reflection and to rely on her automatic system. So much so that good golfers, like other good athletes, know the hazards of thinking too much and might well do better to trust the gut or just do it. The automatic system can be trained with lots of repetition, but such training takes a lot of time and effort. Okay, so that's from the book Nudge. Um, Everado continues, essentially they spend enough time drilling the skill and using their reflective system that it became part of their automatic system. I have a tendency to overthink my answers. So I've been making an effort to intentionally slow down and understand the prompt and then trusting my gut to answer. I definitely have room to grow, but this has really helped me with my LR. Thanks for all you and Nathan do, and a shout-out to the Demon team that works behind the scenes, too. The website kicks ass, and the ability to go directly to a timestamp on a video during explanations is such a cool, convenient feature. I've been listening since October 2021, back when I walked the dark road of Khan. <laughs> Sounds dark. Artistic. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I made the switch in December and the only regret is that I wasted two months of poor studying. I'm slowly but surely progressing. I intend to take the April LSAT and I can't wait to submit my personal statement in a few months after I've scored my best LSAT scores.
1: Sounds like he's got the right order there. Good Yeah.
0: I like the I like the plural there too. Scores, right?
1: Yeah, not just one, but keep taking it until you get the one that really reflects your ability. Yeah, great.
0: Okay. Any reactions to any of this?
1: No, thanks, Everardo. Um, well, yeah, I do, I do have um, reactions. I, I guess I want to caution people against this idea that they're going to trust their gut. Uh, that doesn't mean, because I, I, you know what happens a lot is people go, yeah, so whatever answer I, I, whichever answer choice I like first, that's the one I'm going to go with. And mm-hmm. that's not, that ain't it. Predict the answer is, I think, what we need to be talking about here.
0: Well, and also notice what he said he says he's slowing down and right. understanding the prompt. And so that's enabling him to intuitively understand the answers, but that yep. doesn't that doesn't mean that you're just willy-nilly like picking answers.
1: No, it's just that, not driven by the answer choices. Yeah. It's driven by actual understanding of the pro- he's calling it the prompt we call it the passage normally in, Mm -hmm. in logical reasoning. So often you might be able to know what the problem with the argument is halfway through the argument. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you're already 90% of the way to answering the question, no matter what the question turns out to be. And the answer choices are only going to hurt your understanding. So this idea that you're going to slow down, really dig into the prompt or passage or argument or whatever you want to call it, call bullshit. If they're making an argument, you know, what's your evidence? What's your conclusion? Why is this bullshit? Then when the question asks you to strengthen or weaken or whatever it is, then take the time before. Before you look at answer choice A, this is critical. Before you start reading the answers, see if you can answer the question. Then look at the answer choices. The The biggest mistake that people make is that they're too passive. They're too driven by the answer choices. And, and they think that it's this like the way to do it is to like read all the answers and then compare them with one another. It, it, it's slower. It's far less accurate. It's not nearly as fun. And I think that that's what Everardo is really getting at here is that he, he has slowed down enough that he's going to know what the answer is before he even reads the answer choices. Right. Cool. When he says trusting my gut to answer, I think that's what he means or ideally that's what he would mean is I'm starting to answer these questions before I ever even mess around with the answer choices at all. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's really, that's, that's the way that it's really done. Um, as far as this last paragraph, thank you for, you know, shouting out our, really you're shouting out Ben and the development team. Uh, Ben has been busting his ass constantly to continue to make the site itself better and better. And we have a, a really great team of, um, of people up and down the organization. Yeah. Uh, who have been making the site, you know, better and more usable and adding features all the time. So yeah, thank you, Ben. And thank you to all of our team. Yeah. Thank you everyone. Next one is from Sharon. Hi, I'm kind of new to LSAT demon and I've been drilling a little bit every day. It's not my first time studying for the LSAT. But this time around, I feel like I'm actually understanding what these passages are saying. So I'm really, really grateful and excited to continue improving exclamation points. My question is, if any of you could give me advice on whether I should attend any of the classes. I read that and I was like, yeah, we like our classes. Please do attend our classes. But <laughs> Sharon continues, um, uh, My reservation is the time zone. I am currently in the East African time zone. I feel like I am already getting good help with the video slash written slash ask button explanations. And I've watched some of the available previous class videos. I know at the end of the day, it's my decision to wake up at 4 a.m. on a workday or not, LOL, but I'm wondering if y'all had suggestions. Thanks, that's Sharon. So do you think Sharon should be getting up at 4 a.m., to watch demon live classes or do you think she should (laughs) just Ben says no do not do that I mean some people get up that early
0: and they're that's when their go time is and that that works for them but that that is for a very small group of people and my assumption Sharon because you're asking this question is that that is not a good time for you uh normally and I I just um I have a couple things. So one, we just told Eve, right? Hey, maybe you should consider premium or live. Go to these classes. But I'm I'm saying to you, Sharon, no. I, I I've read several books on sleep, and I've come. <laughs> I'm convinced that we do better the closer we are aligned to the sun. Uh, y- you can try to fight it, but it's yeah. Just... Getting
1: up three hours before dawn is probably uh, probably is not not what we're going for. Then
0: you could try it. But my guess is you can watch the class at a time you're alert. You can even speed up the video if... uh Well,
1: I, I, there's a strong argument to be made for doing demon live, but then not actually attending the live classes and instead just watching the the recordings. We record all of our classes. We post them right away. As soon as the class is over, we get to work on posting those videos. You can, you can do the classes. Ben hates it when I say asynchronously. Uh, but (laughs) that just means that, yeah, it's a live class, but you're going to time shift it a little bit back. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that that's a huge value to LSAT Demon Live. We have now, shit, two years worth of um, recorded classes that are available. And so, you know, if you like me, you can watch all of my bullshit. You, know, you could binge Nathan Fox LSAT classes God forbid for days and days, you know, uh, or if you more likely, if you like Ben and you want to binge Ben Olson's classes, but if you like Matt or Becca or any of our teachers, we've got shit tons of recorded classes just on games or just on reading comp or just on logical reasoning or advanced level or fundamentals level or whatever. We've got like, really like thousands of hours of class now. And Sharon, you could be in, and she already is, she says she has been watching some of those previous class videos. So rather than attending those classes live, I mean, I I would just say, why don't you watch our current classes tomorrow?
0: But that is a key distinction, right? To get access to those classes, you would have to have the live plan. So you get the live plan and then you can have access to all those classes premium, which she presumably has, has some classes, some past videos, but not the, not the whole library.
1: Every level of the demon has amazing help even free, right? We had an email earlier on this show from somebody who improved by a bunch of points by using our free resources, please. Go use all of our free resources. If you have not already done that, go to lsatdemon.com, sign up for a free account, use the shit out of our free resources, change your life for free, please. If you decide you want more, we have three different levels, basic, premium, live. They all have tons and tons of features. Basic is a self-study tool. Premium is a bigger self-study tool. Live has multiple live classes, seven days a week and recordings of all of those classes. So depending on what level of support you want, you can find a demon plan that works for you. But if one demon, if one else at point is worth $10,000 worth of scholarships, then, you know, it might be worth making that investment, paying a little bit of money, um, to make the most of your time that you're going to spend studying. Yep. So we're both saying, Sharon, no, don't get up at 4 a.m. That seems kind of (laughs) crazy. Nope. All right. I want to read this one from Jay. Yeah.
0: Gentlemen, I wanted to pass along the following email for your reading pleasure. The second sentence of the first paragraph is truly memorable. Okay. So this is an email from Widener University. I don't know this university. Um, The Commonwealth Law School. Okay. So dear so-and-so. It recently came to our attention that some students received a scholarship notification email with incorrect scholarship information. It appears to only affected students who applied to the law school last year. Okay, so that that doesn't make sense. It appeared it appears to have have affected only students who applied to the law school last year and an extra zero was added to the end of the award amount when the field was merged into the email. (laughs) Okay, so everybody thought they were getting (laughs) tenfold what they actually
1: were getting. (laughs) Sorry, we 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 told you you were getting a... $20,000 scholarship, but actually that was a $2,000 scholarship. two, yeah.
0: We're giving you you more than the actual tuition amount. (laughs) We are working to resolve this email coding issue as quickly as possible. I I don't care. Should have been resolved yesterday. In addition to the acceptance and scholarship emails, the admissions I don't think we need
1: to read the rest of this. It was a silly little thing. It was just (laughs) they sent an extra zero out. So that's Widener. uh, I, I had to look it up really quick because i had never heard of this school before the estimator has two wideners one of them in pennsylvania and one of them in delaware um never heard of this place it's a regional law school and uh, we see all kinds of goofy stuff coming from these (laughs) regional schools anyway thank you for sending that in jay yep uh, next one is from Jennifer. Good morning. I'm really undecisive as to whether I should wait for the responses to the law schools I already a- rep- applied to or retake the dreaded LSAT. My numbers are as follows. UGPA 2.7, LSAT 149. Ben you had a heavy sigh. <laughs>
0: You're, you're not in a position to apply to law
1: school right now. Right. This is a don't go to law school. 2.7, 149, nope, don't do it. If you improve that LSAT up by 10 failure. points, we get to maybe. Yep. But where you are right now is a, you, this is very unlikely to work out successfully for you.
0: Look, there's nothing wrong with starting with a 149 or even exactly. being at a 149 halfway through your LSAT studying. But, in terms of an ending LSAT number, and by the way, an a subpar UGPA, you're just, you shouldn't go to law school with yeah. these numbers.
1: Yep. So Jennifer has a, a really long, you know, heartfelt email here about all of the, her difficulties in undergrad, single mother of a four-year-old and a two-year-old. One of the kids had epilepsy the kids having seizures, she has to miss school, you know, took her eight years to do her undergrad, which by the way, congratulations, Jennifer, that is an enormous achievement. Um, you know, that's awesome. But you also have a 2.7 that the schools are going to have to report to the world on their five Oh nine reports. And it hurts their medians. You know, it's not that they don't feel sympathy. It's just, it is a fact that it hurts their medians. And that hurts their rankings, which hurts the prestige of their school. And there's nothing you could do about it because that ship has already sailed. Um, LSAT, though, is still in play. And if you get the right LSAT, you could have an LSAT that would raise their medians. And that's really the only way that we can compensate for this low GPA, but an LSAT of 149 is going to lower their median LSAT, and you're already lowering their GPA, and they, you know, the worst thing that might happen to you is they might admit you and charge you full price. And you that do not just, want that at no, this point
0: in your life, especially.
1: Yeah, you you do not want that to happen. So, you know, Jennifer says that she's applied to six schools. Um she says three of them were reach schools. And for three of them, I was like in the 25th or 50th percentile. You know, I hate to break it to you, but that's, those are reach schools.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, you need you, to be the, in the 75th percentile for. <laughs> yeah. you LSAT, right. At least.
1: Uh, yeah, Jennifer, you need to go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. And you need to put that 2.7 in and the 149 in, and you need to look at what kinds of scholarships you're going to get. And there's not going to be very many. But if you put in a 159 or a 164, you probably will start to see some scholarships. And those are the kinds of schools that you need to be applying to. She goes on and says that she also has, because of unpaid traffic tickets, and then she got pulled over and lied to the cops. She gave them a false name and she has a record because of that. And she says that that's getting non-disclosed from her record. And she's worried about that and says, you know, what are my chances with that? And as far as that's concerned, you need to call your state bar. You need to disclose all of this to your state bar. You need to say, Hey, I have this specific charge. Here's what happened. Here's what it is now. It's going to be non-disclosed. Here's the thing. Is that going to prevent me from being admitted to practice law in my state? and there are 50 different states so we we don't we don't have the answer to that but if you call your state bar they should be able to sort you out on that she says should i retake the dreaded LSAT? i honestly cannot afford the tutoring and i am mentally drained as my last LSAT study lasted for about a year and i still only scored a 149 she i i'm that's concerning to me I agree. It seems like she's fighting an uphill battle here. There's a huge world of opportunities. You know, we, we had professor Kotlikoff on just a second ago. One of the things that I noted from his book uh, this book is called money magic, but one of the things he talked about was at Bureau of labor statistics. Hmm. This is bls.gov. They have a thing called Occupational Employment and Wage Statistics. It provides information on 867 occupations. There's a career finder tool there. You might play with that and just consider other possible careers. I'm not saying don't be a lawyer. I'm saying there's 866 other ones on that list. And you might find other jobs that would actually be far more lucrative for you than being a lawyer.
0: More lucrative and more enjoyable. Um, The LSAT obviously is going to end when you get the best score you can get and you apply to law school. You're never going to take the LSAT again, but there are enough similarities between the LSAT and law school and legal practice that if you found studying for the LSAT to be mentally draining I'm concerned that you're going to find law school and legal practice to be mentally draining. What problem are you trying to solve? Are you trying to solve a financial problem by getting a job as an attorney? If that's what you're trying to do, there are multiple ways to solve that problem. If you desperately want to become an attorney because that kind of work invigorates you, or you think that it will invigorate you, then fine, keep going. But the fact that you found the LSAT mentally draining suggests that that is not the case.
1: Couldn't agree more. I mean, we had Dean Z from University of Michigan Law School on last week. Uh, Dean Z said LSAT is one of the main predictors that she has available to her that tells her whether people are going to be successful in law school. She said that LSAT and GPA combined is the best possible thing that she has. She said that when she has LSAT and GPA from an applicant, it predicts 50% of their 1L grades in law school. So it's not everything, but it is a very strong predictor of how successful you're likely to be in actual law school which by the way is a that's how you get jobs in law is by being successful in law school. So, you know, if you're if you're dreading the LSAT, I just think that it indicates that you're gonna probably dread what you're gonna have to do in in school, in law school. Yep. Um All right. Get a better LSAT score for sure. Get a scholarship to law school, Jennifer. If you're going to go, we want you to go for free. We want you to
0: go for free.
1: Yeah. So that is zero dollars. Yeah. And by the way, let me, I'm going to actually put in some numbers here. So 2.7 and a 149. I mean, are there any schools in the country Yeah, no, all the way down to the bottom of the list. There's no school that's going to give her a full ride. Um, Most schools are not going to give her any scholarship at all. If we change that to a 159, uh, we start to see some green. Not a lot, but there's some green. Golden Gate University in San Francisco, full tuition scholarship.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Western Michigan University, full tuition. Southern University Law, full tuition. You know, that's 10 points of LSAT improvement to save yourself $42,000 a year or $60,000 a year times three, you know, Jennifer, if it, it has been said, if you're looking to solve a financial problem, um, 10 LSAT points could save you easily a couple hundred thousand dollars. And if you're not willing to do that, then I I do not think that this is the right path for you. Email us. We want your feedback. Uh, Help at thinkinglsat.com. Thank you for writing in, Jennifer.
0: Okay, this next one is from Greg. Dear Nathan, Ben, and the LSAT Demon team, discovering and subscribing to the LSAT Demon and the podcasts have been the only Whoa, only been the only positive thing about the LSAT journey for me for the past six months. Okay. Uh, hopefully we can find more positive stuff there, but being someone who started studying using blueprint and mediocre private tutoring from a different company, I made it harder for myself by learning these confusing theories and approaches to the test. Thankfully, after, after discovering your podcasts, I started practicing with a more straightforward approach. Long story short, English is my second language. By the way, I wouldn't know that based on what I've read so far. You, you yeah. have great writing. My LSAC GPA is a 3.16, and I'm scoring in the 159 to 163 range. My GPA isn't low because I'm not a good student it is low because i had a crisis during my junior year and i chose not to study for a specific for specific courses i failed biochem ochem, genetics etc okay so and then you dropped out of pre med a program that i had initially joined to please my parents after switching my business sorry after switching my major to business i kept a 3.8 plus gpa for the last 3 semesters of college Business. Of
1: all that, when you write your addendum for your applications, that's the only put, thing you're going to say. Put the part where you kept a 3.8 GPA for your last three semesters. I don't want to hear you whining about, I don't, like don't mention your crisis. Don't, don't mention, mention your parents pleasing to the attempt to please your parents. Don't share any of that in your application. Just keep it positive with, Hey, my last three semesters, 3.8. That's it. Okay. Okay.
0: But- Business law being my favorite course, I decided to pursue a career in the legal field. Ooh, I don't know if I would choose a legal career simply because of one class, but okay. I started studying in August with a diagnostic of 141 or 142 and ended up taking the test in October right before scoring a 160 on a practice test. The test came back a 153 though. I was pissed. After taking a break for a month, I began consistently studying from mid-November until now. Even though I'd like to say that I'm a 163-plus scorer, I often score 158, 159, and 160 still. I've scored a 163 only once, like a month ago. I don't ago.
1: know why he's so focused on 163,
0: but okay. Uh, or just like, so yeah, all this like data, right? English being my second language, I'm sure you already guessed that RC, reading comp, is my worst section of all. Okay, scoring typically minus 12 or minus nine, whereas I'm scoring minus six to minus three on logical reasoning and minus three on games. I want to go to a national school because I want to make it into big law, specifically M&A, mergers and acquisitions in the corporate side. But I'll sell for USC, even though it seems like Nathan isn't a big fan of the school. I think at one point you said it wasn't in the top <laughs> uh, top 14 or something like that. Anyways, or not in second school. best
1: law school in Los Angeles. So it's fine, whatever. it's fine. Yeah. I mean, 3.19 and a 163 is not getting it done at USC though. I mean, that's uh, I'll check the box for URM you're still getting less than half tuition. USC costs $72,000. I mean, I'm not, it's not, I'm, I'm not anti USC. I'm definitely anti anybody paying anything close to $72,000 a year for USC. 72,000,
0: 72
1: that's their fucking thousand dollars. They're in year, the seventies. Ridiculous. And they're yes. Wait, what's Harvard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 70. Yeah are they thinking dude it's just ridiculous yeah it's it's unbelievable i mean it's even more unbelievable when you're not actually fucking harvard when you're yale and stanford and harvard then whatever charge whatever you want but when you're when you're usc what what is usc the fourth best law school in california in california
0: so we got a we got a we got a nice beamer here for 70 grand but over here we have a ford right Exactly. And it's 72. Is it Why is that price? more? Why is more? that more?
1: Because <laughs> it's University of Spoiled Children. That's the... Yeah, I don't... Whatever. I don't actually care. I'm not... I don't... USC is just like any other way overpriced law school to me. I don't have what, any yeah. particular what he's saying is to grind.
0: He hates it. So, um... <laughs> yeah. However, to be considered for a scholarship from USC, I need a 173+. Can okay, I get he's there already by been April on the
1: estimator apparently. All right, good. Can I get there by April?
0: How <laughs> can I get there? I mean for April because I want this hell to be over and enjoy my summer. Thank you, Greg. Oh, Greg. All right. Let's get the oh. let's get the the what is it? Where are those things called those like crystal balls? Yeah, let's get one of those.
1: No. <laughs> I mean, probably not like that. No, you got two months. 163. I have a headache right now. I have a headache. Is (laughs) this related to Greg's Greg's email? Oh my God. Okay, Greg. It could just be coincidence. Dude, if you can't consistently get a 163 and you need a 173 plus and you're just magically going to force that into a two month thing. Like also, I want to enjoy my summer. Fuck your summer. You're not having what you're not, dude, he wants to go into big law and work in M&A and corporate. And he's like, but I want to enjoy my summer though. Okay. (laughs) Well, you don't know what kind of a game you're getting yourself into, dude. You're not going to enjoy Christmas day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. You're not going to enjoy the fucking 4th of July. (laughs) They're going to be like, we're closing a deal. Get in here now. Now. I mean, yesterday. You're going to be sleeping at the office. Oh my God! All right, Greg. Thank you for writing in. I don't want to get. I don't like. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I I want to help you, but I don't. Why do you want to go into big law slash M and A corporate? Do you even know what any of that means? To begin with,
0: well, he took a business law class. I'm just <sighs> worried that the class is nowhere near what the actual practicing
1: experience is going to be like. You're. You, Greg, you need to get yourself consistently into the 160s. And then you need to get yourself consistently into the high 160s. And then you need to at some point in your life score a 170 on a practice test. And and you, you know like this idea that you're going to look what you did. You say you started studying in August and then you took the official test in October
0: you're How'd trying to get this done. <laughs> yeah, you're trying yeah. to get this done too fast.
1: Right, you're you're trying to force it into a timeline instead of really buckling down and just realizing that this is going to be a long haul. People can and do improve by 20 I mean you're looking for a right now you're looking for a 20 point improvement.
0: And and look, you're also putting such a negative like Exactly. By setting these unnecessary, <laughs> I
1: want <laughs> well, this, this <laughs> hell to be over. It's not going to be over, ever. No, it's just beginning. Um, well,
0: well, what I was going to say is right. He he started studying in August with a one forty one. Then he took it in October, so this is two months later, right? Or or, or maybe not even that much later. And he gets a one fifty three, which was bad. He was pissed. Well, going from a one forty one. To a 153, 12 points in two months is something to celebrate. But because you set that up as the time that you needed to be done, and have your 160 or 163, now you're pissed. you you're just your 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 goals and your expectations are all out of whack.
1: Yeah, he took a break for a month, Wasted then started studying from mid-November yep. until now. Yep. And he's still in the high one fifties. It's like, yeah, dude, you haven't been putting in the time,
0: but it, it, and we're focusing on this. It's like, it's all about the negativity. What like, this is great. You're astronomically doing better than you were when you started. You need to look at it as like, okay, how far have I come now? Let's just keep going.
1: You need to let go of this idea that USC is the thing for you. I don't know why you're anchored on USC. There are many other law schools besides USC. If you are in fact going to go to USC on a full ride and you do need a 173 or higher, you need to let go of the idea that you're going to get that done by April so that you can have the hell over with and enjoy your summer. That's just not a thing. You, you're going to potentially, you got to see yourself four more times. Yep. And you should see yourself wait until, as a lawyer. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, you should wait until you get, Consistent LSAT scores in the one set, consistent practice scores in the 170 before you ever take the official LSAT again. If USC is really, you know, in the cards for you eventually, but this is you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta buckle down for the long haul. And I, I just, I assure you that, that it, it gets way, way worse once you're actually in law school. Like if you're gonna go to USC and kick ass enough to go get yourself that big law mergers and acquisitions corporate law job, that job is going to suck compared to USC and USC is going to suck compared to the LSAT. And your summers are over for the rest of your life. It's not a thing. So like love to help, but you're like, you are getting into a, you're like entering a world of pain And you just got to, you got to like embrace it. You got to decide, okay, I love this. I'm a grinder. I'm going to grind it out until I get there. And I'm not going to be, you're so focused on this one specific goal and having it over with that. That's not, you don't run a marathon by like obsessing about the finish line. Right. (laughs) You're going to have to get, you're going to have to enjoy running yep good luck Greg love to help yep this one's from Eben says hey guys I'm applying to law school to start in 2024 okay oh start in 2024 okay wow so you're Looking not gonna way apply out apply there until... applying in 2023 so a perfect year timing. and a half from now okay. perfect time this is the timeline that Greg should be on yep right because I mean Greg like to get to 173. You don't need to be thinking about getting there by April. You need to be thinking about getting there by probably not even this September application, but the following September application. You know, maybe you get there by this September, but next September would be a lot more likely to improve from a starting of 141 or two, a 30-point improvement, 32-point improvement to get to 173 or higher. I mean, that's, that's not a two months or six months. That's a... Two years type of an investment.
0: We see that happen. So we're we, we're not no, saying you can't yeah. do it, but it's not the kind of thing that usually happens. What ha- your your story is actually pretty normal. You went up about fifteen points in a, in a few months. That's awesome. But that
1: that is the easiest part of the improvement, right? Is yep. like you you, the the every additional point is going to be a little harder. So it like that is going to it's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Eben says, <clears throat> I'm currently a junior in college. And I'm just drilling and getting ready for my first LSAT in February. I have a 3.4 GPA, but I've worked at least 40 hours a week all throughout college and will graduate debt free. Also, I will not work at all during law school. Do you think this would be a beneficial addendum or should I include it in my personal statement? I think we can answer this in 30 seconds. Go. No, I,
0: sorry. I got distracted. I I just don't think she should be taking the LSAT. She's got a 3.4 GPA. I think. Oh, he, Um, yeah. Stop and focus on your GPA. I I don't care about any of this other stuff.
1: Yeah. Sounds like you're forcing it. uh, Why are you taking the LSAT now? Why are you trying to do both of them at the same time? You're only a junior in college. Your GPA sucks. You're trying to do too much. Yeah. If you Uh, had
0: a 4.0 or a 3.9 or something, I'd be like, okay, I get it. You're a gunner and you're already ready to like jump ship. Once school is over, you need to fix school first. Yeah.
1: Well, and so, and the specific question that Eben is asking is about the least important aspect of any of this, which is, should I be writing about this experience in my addendum or my personal statement? It's like, what? No, we don't care about that. GPA first. Once GPA is sorted, then LSAT. You know, it's funny. We always talk about
0: LSAT. Get the highest LSAT score you can get. But that's because the vast majority of you have already solidified your GPA. School is over. It's not over for you, Eben. So, sorry for misinforming you. But yes, as Nathan just said, GPA first, LSAT second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it should be like, don't listen to the show if you're not getting straight A's.
0: No, don't
1: go away. (laughs) Like if, if you are getting straight A's then okay. Like maybe you have some time to think about the LSAT. Yeah. But if you're not right now getting straight A's, I don't want you listening to the show. Hang up like prank caller, go away, (laughs) go come back when you're ready. And that, that means you've graduated from undergrad or you're getting straight A's right now in undergrad. You got to control the things that you can control. And we, sometimes we need to focus on one variable at a time. The, the addendum, Eben, is a, is deck chairs on a Titanic, uh, on the Titanic. You, you need to stop stop it. <laughs> like, sure, you might write an addendum about this stuff at some point. But right now, you're actually demonstrating poor judgment because you're working 40 hours a week and going to undergrad and trying to work on your LSAT all at the same time you need your
0: applications
1: and your applications. Apparently like you need to dial this way, way, way back, slow your life down, get the grades first, then the LSAT, then all this other shit. Anything else? Nope. All right, this one is anonymous. Hello, Nathan and Ben. Thanks for getting back to me on the podcast about taking the LSAT on September 9th, 2022 to apply next cycle. I'm certainly not trying to squeak in late with applications. That date would be my fifth attempt, but I hope to get my best score before then. Oh, this is a previous correspondent. I've already postponed applying this cycle to focus on getting my best score. Thanks to your advice, my diagnostic was one hundred and forty-four. I just got a one hundred and seventy-two on the January LSAT, (laughs) so I've improved quite a bit with the demon. Ben laughs because it's just this absurd improvement. Yeah, I. Actually was averaging high one seventies going into January. So I will be retaking the official test until I score in that range or run out of attempts. I've already registered for March as my third attempt this cycle. Thanks a lot. I hope you're, you both recognize that you're changing lives daily. Aww. And I've got this listed as anonymous. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. Yeah. I forget it a lot. It's hard for me to believe it actually that I'm changing lives because I see so many people making what I, I just like, it it really does. Like I worry about you guys. (laughs) I just, I worry Ben about our students and our listeners a lot because I, I fear that you guys are. Like I don't want to give you just enough rope to hang yourself with, mm-hmm. and that's what would happen if I improve. You know, our previous what was it, Jennifer? Like if Jennifer goes from a two point seven one forty nine to a two point seven one fifty three, uh, that'll be the worst thing that ever happened to her because she's gonna get admitted. She's gonna incur a lifetime of debt. I will have hurt her by helping her not enough. Yeah, it would have been better for her to not
0: get accepted anywhere with a lower LSAT score than to improve by a few points and
1: now get pulled into something that you don't want. Anyway, thank you. I don't know why I don't have a name here. I can't remember if you want it to be anonymous or not, but uh, I'm, this is someone who's like actually listened to our advice and is gonna, end, I mean, this is gonna work out really, really well for you. You're applying next cycle. You've already got practice LSATs in the high 170s. You're planning to apply early. You're, you're gonna end up going to a great law school for free. And yeah, those are the people whose lives I feel like we really do change. Uh, for for the better, so um, it's nice nice to hear that. Thank you. I want to wrap it up with this uh, last one? This is from Sophie, and we have a picture of Sophie and her I don't know housemates or something. Her crew. At a party. yeah, okay, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sending a, a picture, by the way, Sophie. You, you're you're now going to probably be um, I don't know. We might use this on the cover of this episode. Yeah. More people need to send in their pictures and you, and then your your three uh, friends here can be uh, LSAT famous, even though they have probably no interest in the LSAT. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) hi, Ben and Nathan. Recently, I started listening to your podcast along with daily studying, and I wanted to say thank you for all of the great advice. Oh, you're welcome. I'm a third year undergraduate at this student at the Ohio State University, and I just began studying for the LSAT. Obviously, LSAT score, GPA, and personal statement are the most important factors for law school applications, so I will mainly be focusing on those three aspects throughout my studies and while applying to law schools. Stop.
1: (laughs) Ain't no top three. Top two. Top two, and that's it. LSAT and GPA. That's it. Then everything else. And it's
0: really GPA than LSAT because right now you're still right. in the GPA game.
1: We need a hierarchy. We we need, we need to put these in the proper order. We've talked about that a lot today. You're a third year undergrad at the Ohio State University. You shouldn't be thinking about your personal statement at all. You probably shouldn't really be thinking about the LSAT at all. Unless you have a 4.0. Do you have a 4.0 right now? If not... Again, stop Yep, with all this and get a 4.0. Get a 4.0, 100%. If you do have a 4.0, then we can talk about the LSAT. I'm not saying you have to have a 4.0, by the way, in order to go to law school. I'm saying if you're still going to school, you need to get straight A's.
0: If you're still going to school and you have the opportunity and ability to improve your GPA, you're in a position to help the top two factors and really the only two factors for your law school applications, and so you should still work on that one. You That's the thing. You can do your LSAT at any time. At right. any time. So there's a there's a deadline for your GPA. There is not a deadline for your LSAT.
1: Yeah, and you've got to demonstrate the sits flesh, sits flesh. Yep. Yeah, uh, you know leather ass. <laughs> <laughs> you need to demonstrate your ability to grind it out and kiss ass or whatever it takes in order to get straight A's you, you, whatever that combination of smarts and work ethic and ass kissing, whatever it is to, or, you know, Oh, um, strategery of taking the right classes and all that, you know, that type (laughs) of thing, like gaming the system, you need to game the system, lawyers game systems. So you need to figure out how to get yourself straight A's. And if you're doing that, then we can talk about other stuff but it should probably be the LSAT next.
0: (laughs) We love that you're listening to the show, but you you would actually be using your time more effectively if you have to be listening to something, finding a podcast about how to kill it in college. How to make sure you're getting a 4.0, yeah. Well, I mean, what
1: you really should be doing is knocking on the door of your professor's office.
0: Yeah, talking to them. Mm -hmm. What can I do? How can I improve this grade?
1: Yep. So Sophie continues.
0: That being said, I was wondering your guys' thoughts on my undergraduate major and minor because I have never met anyone following the same path as me. I'm a woman's gender and sexuality studies major with a history minor and a diversity, equity, and inclusion certificate through OSU. I've repeatedly heard that law schools do not care, but do you think law schools will look down upon this choice? Or on the other hand, could it make me stand out if I were to briefly touch on it in my personal statement? Wanting to hear your thoughts. They're going to
1: see all this stuff on your resume. So whether you talk about it in your personal statement or not, I don't know. Is that, is that, is it the most important thing about you? Is that like the elevator pitch? You would say I'm a women's gender sexuality major with a history minor and a diversity equity and inclusion certificate. Is that the thing that you want to hang your hat on? If so, then you, yeah, sure. Fine. Include it in your personal statement. Is it going to move the needle at all? No. Are they going to look down on this? No. Do they like it? Maybe. Is it special and unique? No. (laughs) I mean, there is a major at your school. You're in that major. Yeah. There's lots of other people in that major. Now your exact combination of major and minor and this certificate. Sure. You're a unique, special snowflake because of that, but everybody is a unique, special snowflake because of some trivial combination of things on their resume. So it's like, you might be the only person who has ever applied to law school with this exact combination of things. And it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. It's certainly not going to hurt you. It may be at some like real right-wing Southern school or something.
0: Yeah. Raise an eyebrow. But really law schools are generally progressive, even at these
1: places. So yeah, you're, you're going to be applying to law school in the modern world. And in the modern world, people are going to have respect for these types of things and interests and they're going to, they're, it's, it's a feather in your cap for sure. It's just not the thing that you should be spending your time thinking about. Um, you there's, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, could she be applying now? I I guess she could be looking to apply this September for next September admission. If she's going to just go straight through four years of undergrad and then immediately start law school. Sometimes people do that. It's, it's not, you know, I mean, really you should only do that if you're getting a 4.0. Yep. And even then, why are you thinking about your personal statement now? I mean, it's, it's, that's the last thing you need to be thinking about. Yep. Get the right grades, which is perfect. Get the right LSAT, which is as high as possible. Then worry about all this other stuff. Thank you, Sophie, for writing in. And thanks for sending the picture. looks like you guys are having a lovely birthday. Yeah. That's a crazy candle you got there. (laughs) How would we describe (laughs) that? It's a big, like, it's like a flower, right? Yeah, I'm trying to think of what kind of a flower it is. It's like a, it reminds like me a, of like a lily pond. Kind yeah,
0: of exactly. It's like a flower on a lily, like a, yeah, on a pond. And it's got candles coming out of each petal.
1: <laughs> it's a lily pond cake. They got their white wine going. They're having a lovely little birthday. And uh, yeah, thank you, Sophie, for writing in and, and sending that. Good, good grades. Yep. We have with us uh, Professor Lawrence Kotlikov. The, we've, we've mentioned uh, Professor Kotlikov's work before. We had a story from CNBC.com um, about money rules. And uh, we, we, we talked about, it was shocking to us that number one on the list was don't borrow for college. And number two on the list was if your parents are borrowing for your tuition, discuss who will repay. Um, there, <laughs> This was all kinds of other rules on the list, which were like about your 401k and about social security and about a mortgage and all these other big financial issues. But number one and two on the list were like, be careful about how much money you borrow for college, which is something that we talk about all the time uh, here on Thinking LSAT. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Sure, my my pleasure.
1: I have a copy of your book in my hand. The book is called Money Magic. Uh, It is excellent. Specifically, I want to recommend all of our listeners get a copy of the book and read the chapter called Don't Borrow for College. Uh, Boy, Ben, where where should we start here?
0: Um, Well, I think we should start with don't borrow for college, and then go into what that means for law school too. Because we say all the time, we don't want people to pay for law school. We want them to go for free. We want them to get a scholarship, a full ride, and a stipend if possible. Um, and yeah, I guess uh,
1: Larry, you might not be aware that we that this is a thing, but we have built a scholarship. It's a law school scholarship estimator. Uh, it's at elsatdemon.com/scholarships. And what you can do there is you can put in an LSAT score and a GPA and hit update, and it'll give you estimates of what types of scholarships you should be able to get at what types of schools. And uh, it's, it's, it's pretty accurate, and it's amazing how much just a few LSAT points up or down are going to change the amount of uh, tuition assistance that you should get. But the game in law school, as we see it, is they are buying your LSAT and your GPA and you can go for free at many schools across the country. It's, it's actually easy to go to law school for free, uh, if you're willing to get the right LSAT and apply broadly. Yeah. So that's where we're coming from. Um, with all of this.
2: That's great because, um, people should know, you know, what things cost and, uh, And clearly, uh, if you can, you know, the the biggest, um, the best way to make money is not to lose it. So if you have some freebie right there that you can go get uh, and you can sell your your LSAT score and your GPA and the fact that you've been a hard worker and you've done well. Yeah. Yeah. Go for
1: it. With law schools specifically, the American Bar Association requires law schools to publish this uh, standard 509 information report every year. We do link to these on our scholarship estimator. I'm looking right now at you're a professor of economics at Boston University. I'm looking at the BU Law 509 Information Report for 2021. And if we scroll down to the bottom of the second page of that report, we see that of 771 students at Boston University, 701 of them are receiving a tuition grant of some sort. So that's 91% of the students at BU are not paying full price. Of those, uh, it's 32% who are getting half to full tuition and 17% who are getting full tuition. So at Boston University, we have 49% of the students getting something more than 50% or half half to full. Uh, 49%, uh, half the class paying half or less for their JD.
2: That's, so that's very interesting. I had no idea that there was any... Um scholarship help, uh, for law schools until you just told me right now. So, uh, very informative, very important, clearly.
1: I would love it. If you wrote on this topic, reading your book, I, I just was like, Oh my God, this guy (laughs) needs to write about this law school scholarship game. Uh, because you have public data you can compare boston university to boston college to northeastern to suffolk and this is all just a matter of public record you can calculate how much it costs to go to these schools and yeah. uh you know potentially then take the salary data and figure out <laughs> where the value you guys actually have access is.
2: to the salary data can you can you put that up on your site too
1: so what do we have access to, Ben? Law School Transparency yeah. has some mm-hmm. stuff. It's not on our site yet.
0: I, I don't know where they're getting that data from, but it must be reported. Is it reported on the 509 as well? It's not, it's, right? It,
1: no, it's not on the 509. We, we, don't, we don't have it here, which would be great if we did.
0: It's a very good suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be on the ABA required disclosures website, but... Yeah, employment outcomes. Okay, so I'm at aba-required-disclosures. That's and they have the 509 required disclosures. And then right below that, they have employment outcomes. Um, yeah, so huh, we can just uh, download this data and start figuring out how to incorporate that into the scholarship estimator.
2: Yeah, that's great. Our-
1: <laughs> Our tagline, Larry, on this show for years has been don't pay for law school. And the reason why we keep saying don't pay for law school is that you simply don't have to. Law schools uh, compete aggressively for applicants using tuition scholarships and it, the the scholarships basically come from your LSAT and your GPA you know you you teach at well you're in the economics department at Boston University Boston University has a prestigious law school but it's the second most prestigious law school in town, right? By a very wide margin. And in order to try to attract some of those people who might be able to go to Harvard otherwise, uh, BU just passed to let people go for free. And that's how they're able to get their LSAT and GPA numbers higher, which then plays into the US news rankings, which everybody pays way too much attention to. So anyway, that's the game as we see it. Um, boy, I have so many things that I want to talk about. I'm sorry that I'm all over the place. Um,
2: not, not to worry. I, I can come back multiple times. So not
1: beautiful. <laughs> maybe we can collaborate somehow or boy, ask us questions about this field. Cause we would be happy to point you in the direction where you could maybe do some actual research. We don't, we're not researchers. We don't know what we're doing, we're, but we are both of us, uh, you know, we, we both went to law school. We both borrowed money. We both paid it off, but we also have worked with hundreds or thousands of LSAT students over the years. And I, you know, I, I, I can't sleep at night worrying about how much money some of these people are paying for JDs, which are just not going to pay off. Yeah. And uh, so we're, we're both intensely interested in this area.
2: Yeah. Well, the, um, you know, one thing I have this company called, we have a software program called Maxify.com, M A X I F com where you can, uh, you know, set yourself up as, you know, one profile you go to BU, another one you go to Ohio State, third you go to Suffolk University, uh, and you put in all the costs and all the, um, Incorporate the borrowing and you and all the the payouts in terms of the expected salary, and this thing is going to incorporate all the uh, all the taxes. So you would tell the program where you're going to have to, you know, be, where you're likely to be living, and if you're going to be living in California, the marginal taxes can go up to 13%. So uh, you know, you spend all this time in school, you finally get out, and you finally get a good good salary. But now you're treated as if in the t- by the tax system, as if you're going to, if you've been a, as if you've been a higher earner your entire life, when uh, you've spent the last uh, seven years in school, and uh, and but you, you're going to be in a high marginal tax rate bracket. So, but you can you know you can see whether which school is going to produce the highest lifetime spending under the three profiles. Let's say uh, also which state do i want to live in and or what city if you have multiple offers job offers you can compare them in a systematic way so it um, you know the tool doesn't have all the in- inputs that you have in your particular tool it could certainly be combined the the data that you guys have online people could grab and put into our tool and then make a comprehensive comparison uh, so this is the you know the software that I use to help write this book, Money Magic. Um,
1: <laughs> it's an excellent book. I really recommend everybody uh, pick up a copy. There's I've got like a hundred different things that I I wrote down a few notes here. Um, let's talk about th- this one. Y- you told a you used a, a German word. Um, it, I, it, it struck me because I'm a high LSAT low GPA applicant. I have never been a good student ever in my life. Uh, But I do really good on tests. And I was able to get into law school as a what we call splitter in this field where that means, you know, high on one of the two important metrics. So I was really high LSAT, really low undergrad GPA, and I was able to get in to many schools, but I did not get the scholarships that I needed to, to make it make any kind of financial sense. You told a story uh, about George and Sam, who uh, were, uh, those are pseudonyms for some people that you studied economics with. I guess this was an economics PhD program. Yeah. And you used a German word called, I guess, I want to say Seatsfleisch. Sitzfleisch?
2: Sitzfleisch, which Sie- means uh, flesh." It's really the size of your um, rear end. Yeah. Uh, It's a word from academia. If you have a lot of sit-splash, you can stay in your seat, in your chair a long time without getting sore. You have a lot of good padding there. And it it just really means you have a lot of diligence to be an academic. So these guys I was telling the story about, um, they were – so I went to to Harvard um, and – we had uh, about uh, 30 kids in the class, maybe 25, 30. There was one kid from Chile who became the president of Chile, just uh, ended his second term, Sebastian Pinera, my good close friend. Um, one kid from Iran, one kid from Mexico, one kid from India. Uh, three of us got in from, actually, I think four of us from the University of Pennsylvania somehow. Um, and. <laughs> I don't know. It was a bumper crop for for Penn that year, but um, so we showed up and we we met these two guys who were clearly geniuses. They had um, they also had this kind of illustrative background. They had failed out of high school, and then they had failed out of college. Uh, but they wrote. They got together, and they wrote a brilliant paper about criticizing a study that the admissions director at Harvard in the graduate economics program had written. So his name was Zvi Rilakis, and uh, Zvi is from Israel, and uh, he was so taken with these guys having written this paper, he found out who they were, because he met them at a conference. He found out that they failed out of high school, they failed out of college, and he said, look, and and you guys are applying to graduate school in economics at, at Harvard, right? And they said yes. And he accepts them right there on the spot, and then we show up, and he immediately tells us that the two geniuses of the class—they uh, were so smart they didn't have to finish high school or college. Um, they could just, <laughs> and uh, and they knew everything about everything. You know, you could ask them about the the hardware and the computer uh, building, and they knew all the details. And we were totally all the kind of math that powered math we were all intimidated we were sure it was a clerical mistake that we were accepted so as i say in the book um, money magic I, uh we had this theory test and i was quaking in my boots and i was studying like till five in the morning every night for like two months first theory quest- test and i ended up getting the top grade in the class uh because my close friend, Sebastian Pinera, who was, you know, the former president of Chile, was very upset. He said, how did, how did this happen? I said, what? He said, well, you don't know? I said, no. He said, wait, well, I just looked, you got the top grade in the class, how did this happen? I said, and what did you get? He said, I got the second top grade. I said, well, Sebastian, you're from a developing country, you don't know speak English that well, you just got here. it time, but the really interesting thing was that these two geniuses were down at the bottom of the list. And of course, I never did well in the other theory, it's not like I was the top of the class, uh, like the time (laughs) I just worked really hard on that particular exam and did well. But these other guys didn't have the sitzfleisch to to take to get through the graduate program, so they actually. Did not get their PhDs, so they failed out of high school. They failed out of college, and th- and then they failed out of Harvard. So getting into Harvard is no guarantee you're going to get out of Harvard, let alone get out of Harvard to a good job. And even if you do graduate with Harvard, um, and you have all your Harvard regalia—the the sweater and the the hat and the scarf—it all says Harvard everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can wear that in the summertime in your first job all day long and uh, to all the parties, and you'll probably get fired. People will be sick of you. <laughs> you know, it's it's really what you do. Harvard is collecting hardworking, in general, hardworking people and creative people. It's not making them hardworking and creative. Uh, that's something that's kind of parental given, or God given, or community given, or teacher given, or uh, just it, you know, I know a guy who grew up in absolute poverty in um, Cranston, Rhode Island. Uh, Steve Laffey. Uh, he's famous for uh, this. Cranston's a very poor part of Rhode Island uh, town. He um, was living, you know, his uh, total poverty. He uh, somehow got a, a, a scholarship to a private school. Then he gets a scholarship to Bates College. Then he works his way into getting a scholarship at, at Harvard Business School. Then he goes and works for a bank and does extremely well. And then he decides to go back to Cranston and become mayor. And he's mayor for two terms. And uh, he restores the city to a large extent. And uh, now he's thinking about running for president. Uh, and this is not because he had a great you know, upbringing he had the terrible upbringing. This was Steve Laffey uh, just somehow figured out at a very young age in elementary school that he had to work his tush off and uh, keep at it to uh, be a success. So I think we can all be a success, and, and success is not just money. Success can be doing great artwork that you're proud of, uh, that people enjoy. It's not, you know, we, we value too much uh, based on dollar bills. I do
1: think though that 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 sitzfleisch um, has a way of showing on your academic record if you've got it. And maybe it's a thing that can be developed over time. I certainly never developed it myself. I guess the thing that I'm worried about with with my students who are, you know, prospective law school applicants is that they they come to us with, you know, well, I only have a 2.7 undergraduate GPA, but I know I'm going to succeed in law school. And Ben and I always kind of <laughs> cringe a little, and it's just, we're we're a little skeptical <laughs> of that because, you know, you, you didn't do it in undergrad.
2: Yeah. I think people have to be realistic because Going to college, you know, 40% of the kids that start college uh, don't finish college. And that's why you know, this chapter on don't borrow for college, that's the first thing I say. Who is going to invest money, borrow money, at a high interest rate in order to uh, have a 40% chance of getting absolutely nothing back for that investment and having to repay those loans over the rest of your days? Uh, I mean, this is nuts. Let alone letting an 18-year-old make that decision. Uh, or letting having parents let them make that decision if the kid hasn't, you know, shown in high school that he's really uh, into this stuff.
1: Yeah. Or how about a how about a BU law school applicant? I mean, you know, we 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 went through the scholarship matrix just a second ago, we, we see that 9% of the people at BU are paying full price. Yeah. Those people tend to be the people who have less than BU's 25th percentile undergraduate GPA, which is 3.5. So these people are applying to BU law. They get in somehow with low GPA, probably low LSAT, or you know, at least one of those is going to be low. That's why they're not getting the tuition scholarship. Right. And and now they're they're borrowing. I mean, the so the tuition here at BU Law is fifty nine thousand dollars a year, plus fees, plus living expenses, for three years. We're talking
2: eighty k. Eighty uh, k a year
1: times three. Times three.
2: Now you know, think about three hundred thousand uh, dollars. And then you may not get a job, right? Or not get a good job. Uh, or get a job where you're working 80 hours a week uh, for pretty crappy pay. And you're going, so so people need to really uh, think twice. Uh, maybe they could have gone to a state school uh, for m- much less. Uh, you know, you really do have to work hard <laughs> to, uh, to repay this stuff and to get ahead. So, um, no matter what field you're in, uh, but I think I think it's outrageous what we're putting kids into without them really understanding it. So, I applaud you guys for um, for uh, doing what you're doing.
0: You know, I, thanks. I, I wanted to actually talk a little bit more about that. You just said uh, these kids are paying for things that they don't understand. And I, I think that's, that's something that um, I struggle to convey to our listeners. I, I'm sure that a, a bunch of them are on board. They're not planning to pay for law school. But when you start talking about these big numbers, I think some of them are still just um, like deer in the headlights. They don't understand if you talk about, hey, let's go on this trip this weekend and it's gonna cost you two hundred dollars to get on a plane and fly somewhere and they're like, whoa, I don't know, two hundred bucks. I don't know if I'm gonna go on that trip, right? And then you start talking about a hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars, the number is so astronomical that there's no there's no feeling associated with that, right? They can feel the two hundred dollars, but they can't feel the three hundred thousand dollars or or there's no difference between taking out a loan for eighty versus taking out a loan for two hundred and forty. But those are astronomically even different numbers there, right? Like, I, I, I was wondering if there's a way that you have found yourself trying to convey the, the magnitude of these loans to people who don't seem to feel them.
2: Well, I think, you know, you could, you could say, look, you know, if you went to this place where it was going to cost you, you'd end up uh, borrowing 50000 over three years, maybe living at home. And uh, uh, and so at the end of the three years, uh, maybe the parents are thinking about you know helping you through this school versus uh, they could say, look, at the end of the three years we're going to buy you a nice, a small apartment that you'll have no matter what happens, or we'll give you two hundred thousand dollars in cash uh, to help you. Um, uh, out in life, you know, give you a start for down payment to buy a house, uh, you know, if you're really confronted, and let's go look at the houses that you might buy, uh, and is this really worth it? Uh, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to like the the faculty, or no guarantee you're going to like this the other students at this very expensive place. Uh, uh, so that's the kind of thing we have to kind of show people the what things cost.
0: But, You're saying like the trade-off. So you, you could go to school, or you we could we could help you go to school, or we could help you buy a
2: house. What? Or, <laughs> you could or have or this if tangible if thing. I'm borrowing the money. I'm your parent. If I borrow the money at this rate, uh, when I pass away, uh, I'm not going to lower my living standard to to do this. I'm just going to uh, over time have less money to leave you when I pass away. And therefore you might inherit, you know, half a million dollars less when I die. Or you might Mm -hmm. end up having to take care of me because I don't have enough money to take care of myself because I paid so much, uh, to take you through law school. Uh, When you start having these kinds of real, you know, nitty gritty conversations, it may just change the entire discussion. I, I, I kind of ran into this with my sons. They had an opportunity to go to BU for free tuition uh, versus Oberlin College, okay? And I had wanted to give them the Oberlin College experience. It seemed like you know a terrific um, uh, college, uh, smaller classes. Uh, they'd gone to private school And so I, and then I didn't really know that much about how good Oberlin College was. A lot of people said it was fantastic. And, but I knew a lot of fantastic B.U. faculty, but I also knew that the, the kids were, a lot of kids were kind of grade grubbers. They weren't here for the education. So I said, you know, go to Oberlin, I'll pay for it. Um, Your mom and I will pay for it. And, uh. You'll have a great education. And then where they want, they had a great education and made li- lifetime friends. Uh, both have girlfriends from Oberlin College. One's getting married to an Oberlin grad. But, you know, from their, their vantage point now, they're saying maybe it would have been better to go to BU for free tuition and you just have given us the money that you otherwise spent on Oberlin. So I, you know... It's not like economists get this right either. We get emotional. We get, you know, we, don't, we make these decisions quickly without a lot of thought. It's, you know, the, the kids go to college. They take a tour with some attractive uh, tour guide. And they decide this is the place for me. It has nothing to do with the university. It has to do with the tour guide. Or they go to the gym. It's a fantastic gym. You know, as soon as BU put in a fantastic gym and fantastic dorms, we went way up in the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Uh,
1: <laughs> that's insane. That was the trick.
2: And uh, <laughs> the uh, so it's kind of, uh, that's, that, it's not really ranking education. It's ranking something else. But uh, we can't. Afford- You're talking about a situation where you actually
1: had the money to pay for it I mean, isn't the hazard even worse when it's when it's students that are borrowing the money and the bill doesn't come due for four years from now? And they I I think they don't even think of like that. It's not them that's going to be paying it back. It's like, well, that's that's future big time attorney me and future big time lawyer me is going to be driving around in a BMW and I'm going to have no problem paying back this money. And you know, so then we've got a twenty-one-year-old signing for really signing for three hundred thousand dollars because they think that future big law twenty-five-year-old version of them is going to have no problem paying this money back.
2: Yep, that's exactly the that's exactly the problem. Uh, so one has to make some hard-nosed calculations, and uh, and that's the value of your your service. And, uh, you know, my, my book, when you write a chapter, it says, don't borrow for college. It wakes people up. It's coming from a college professor. What is a college professor writing? Don't borrow for college. How could this be? Right. It seems
1: like a good argument in favor of tenure, uh, the tenure (laughs) system. I, 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 you, you are a tenured professor, right? You, it, yeah, you're able to say what you want oh, more yeah, or less.
2: Otherwise, I'd probably be fired. You know, if if I were, you know, given what I've just written, uh, it's. <laughs> I mean, I would say don't borrow for any college except Boston University. Let me put that. <laughs> you don't want to borrow You don't want to borrow to go to Harvard or Princeton or Yale, but BU. That's
1: that one's worth you it. You'll have a chance
2: of uh, being my student, so there's some value there.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show. We've taken up enough of your time. I hope that you'll come back uh, sometime soon and we uh, let's put our heads together and at least share resources. I would love to see you do work specifically related to law school. I think that there's a big hole there uh, to help people, you know, have a better idea what they're, what they're buying, right? Like, what is the cost of this?
2: Well, so maybe yeah. We can. Yeah. Um, if you guys uh, shoot me an email, I'll give you the software, and you can start taking a look, and then we can go from there.
1: Sounds great, um, yeah. Professor. Anything else, uh, Ben? Before we no,
0: thanks go? so much for coming on, and I, <laughs> I already love the ideas you have for incorporating employment data into the estimator. Um, I don't see why we wouldn't do that. Yeah, if we can we get we can. the
1: salary, like, and we can do some sort of like. You know, discount the, the salaries by the odds of getting that job and then co- somehow kind of c- cross that with the cost to attend the school and upgrade the estimator that way. Yeah, or just
2: um, run, you know, charge a little money to actually run people through the software, take our software, use it to help people make decisions about which school to go to. Yeah, again, that's Maxify... Maxify.com.
1: Maxify Planner,
0: right? Or MaxifyPlanner.com, yep.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very powerful... And uh, all these issues, uh, you can just say, you know, for a little fee here, we're going to compare Suffolk, Boston University, Northeastern, Harvard, and uh, and and here's how much it's going to come out of your hide if you go to one place versus versus the other.
1: Great. Yeah. Uh, Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff is uh, a professor of economics at Boston University. You can learn more about him at kotlikoff.net. That's kotlikof dot net. Thanks so much, Larry, for coming on the show. Hope to talk to you soon.
2: All right. Great, guys. Talk soon. Thanks again. Cool. We yeah,
1: will yeah. definitely be in touch.
2: Yeah, thank you. Have a good one.
1: You can be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. We got strong opinions, man, especially me. I know I yell about stuff a lot, but I really do want to know what you are thinking. I want to help as much as I can. I want to answer your questions. Please send them in help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email our world's best customer service team, help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast. It's five days a week, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 337 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.